Welcome back to the Cattle Menu Podcast. I'm Caroline Rose, the founder and CEO of K Rose Company and Cattle Menu. Thank you for joining us on this episode. I'm excited to bring you these conversations each week filled with relatable advice and techniques you can take back to your operation. It's my mission to make sure that we can ranch in the next generation. Make sure and subscribe where you're listening so you never miss a new episode. I am thrilled you're joining me for another episode of the Kettle Menu Podcast. Today, I had on such a special guest, Kristen. She is local to me, and we run in some of the same circles, and I really admire her tenacity and her drive to be involved in agriculture and to get uncomfortable. And she talks a lot about things I think we need to be focused on in the industry, especially for those of you who have no agriculture background, but a desire to be in production agriculture. So thanks for listening. Welcome back to another episode of the Kettle Menu Podcast. I am thrilled about this conversation today. We have Kirsten here with us. Thanks for joining us. Hi there. Thank you for having me. Why don't you start and just talk a little bit about your background and introduce yourself to our audience? Sure. So... As Caroline mentioned, my name's Kirsten. I live in South Central Montana, and I'm a first-generation rancher, Um, so I'm managing an operation here with my husband, and we've been doing a lot of different ranch management over the last few years. Obviously, I wasn't raised in ranching. I was raised in a very rural town and around agriculture, but I didn't grow up on a farmer ranch. But it's something that's become a huge passion of mine, and uh, I obviously turned it into my career and my lifestyle. So I'm excited to talk about that a little bit today. Absolutely. And I love having another Montanan on the podcast. It feels like where you're at compared to where I am currently in Kalispell is quite a distance, but it's all still part of the 406. Yes. Yes. I know. Oh my gosh. Kalispell is quite a haul. And I am technically, I'm not Western Montana by any, you know, standard, but I'm definitely West of like the center line. So that's crazy. (laughs) But yeah. So perfect. You and your husband are, is your husband a first generation too? He is. Yes. Same, kind of the same deal. So he was raised around agriculture. His family lives right on the Minnesota, Wisconsin border. And his dad has always done, you know, kind of small scale beef cattle operation type stuff and, and some farming, but just very more like a hobby. You know, he has a full-time job and then does that on the side. So he's definitely been exposed to it, but he's never managed it and done it, you know, himself until now. So yeah. Absolutely. So talk a little bit about what your role on the ranch looks like and maybe even kind of back up a little bit. What did it look like maybe when you first got on the operation versus kind of how has it morphed into the role it is today? I'll talk a little about a few different roles that I've had just because currently the operation that we're on has definitely morphed into Still, still ranch management, but currently we're in a phase now where we are leasing a lot of our ground to neighboring cattle people. So um, my last two ranch management jobs were strictly cattle management. I was kind of in charge of that. And then my husband was in charge of the farming operations. So 
just to kind of give you guys a little background, we've we've always, like I said, been around um, agriculture and lived really rural lives. But we met almost six years ago in Colorado, actually on a guest ranching operation. That's where kind of our foundation began as far as this idea of like, let's go and let's ranch somewhere together, you know, live this life that's not so seasonal. So the place that we worked in Colorado was a working ranch with cattle and several horses, pretty, pretty big herd of horses. Their livelihood was definitely the guest ranching during the summer months, but then they did work cattle um, in the spring and fall, and then obviously tend all the animals throughout the winter. So that's where I got a lot of my main knowledge and background, I guess, as far as larger scale ranching. Um, We were there for a couple of years together, and then we just really wanted to get out of the seasonal stuff because although the ranch operated year-round, they didn't carry staff throughout the winter months just because, you know, it's a family-run operation, so their family kind of does that. And so we lived in a few different states after that doing kind of more the hunting ranch thing. Hunting is definitely my husband's biggest passion. So we did a lot of that and there was some farming in there. There was a lot of farming, but for a very different purpose for food plots and for, you know, bringing wildlife in and really it was a private ranch, but it was not fenced or anything, you know, so it was still very much so free game for all the wildlife to come and go. So there was a lot of management that went into that. But then after that, I worked and managed a cattle operation in northern Alabama, which is a lot different than here, than the West, of course. So that was a big challenge. But I would say I learned a a lot about management that way and really got a ton of exposure to the cattle industry. So while there, I managed almost 800 pairs and then 250 stalker cattle that we ran in and out of the feedlot every day. So that was kind of my first job working with sales and, you know, the livestock market and really all of that stuff. I did enjoy that a lot. It was a lot to do that on top of the pairs, of course. But anyways, I just am not made for life down south. Um, no offense to anyone that lives down there and loves it. I just can't handle the heat and the humidity. And I was like rescuing calves from the mud every day. And yeah, different way of life down there, but definitely a big learning curve. But then we came up here and lived in Montana and uh, we did manage a big cattle operation in the Little Belts until about, you know, five months ago. So that was kind of our first main exposure to ranching in in the the high country and in the back country. And it was great. Logan did, that's my husband, did all of the farming irrigation planning wise and really starting, you know, from as soon as we got there planning for all of that hay crop. And we, we mostly just did hay down there, you know, just hay for the herd. And then I was obviously planning for calving and then for weaning and then, you know, where we're selling and things like that. So like I said, right now it's, it's kind of a weird phase of life where things have slowed down and we're leasing a lot of our ground to other people while the cattle are getting, you know, fed up. And I've just been managing our horses. We've been getting lots of new ranch horses who are all trying to heal over in this winter weather. So anyways, that's kind of been the evolving of our different roles. And now we're kind of in this balance with winter and spring and, you know, hoping to prepare for all of the things that come with spring, but also not really sure what Montana has in store. You know, it's once again, it feels like winter 
we were just out there freezing our buns off today. So, so yeah, so, so that's us kind of, that's our, our background and backstory a little bit. I always say in a nutshell, but I feel like I'm so chatty. So not really a nutshell. No, I think it was, it's really helpful to kind of see the evolution and all of the experiences that you've tried and decided, okay, this piece works for me, but this piece doesn't. One thing that I feel like in agriculture, and maybe it's a multi-generational thing versus a first generation, is we often are afraid to do something different. Right. And I think that we do a lot of things that are uncomfortable, but they're comfortable to us. And so we kind of stay stagnant. And one thing that I really picked up from your journey is it was almost like, okay, we're going to go here and we're going to try this out and we're going to see what we like and see what we don't like. And then we're going to take the next step. Like you always were thinking about, you know, the next position and not necessarily like a better job, but more like how can we get closer aligned to our passions? And even though you didn't come from production agriculture, you kind of had to to find that and just put yourself out there to even get a little bit of a start. And I just think agriculture, we could use a little bit more of that willingness to take the first step or willingness to try something that's a little bit abnormal just to help us reach our goals. Yeah, for sure. And that's, I, I do agree that, you know, I've worked for, I've worked for other first generation ranchers and I've worked for generational ranchers, you know, and it is, it is a thing. It really is where a lot of people say, well, granddaddy did it this way and he's always done it this way, you know? So who, who in the family is going to shake the boat? Whereas, you know, when it's the first time that anyone's really trying something, it's so much easier. I feel like to, to really try anything, you know, it's, there isn't like that stigma where we've always done it this way, or, you know, we've always, weaned on this stage or voice calved on this stage, you know, you really have the freedom to do that because there's not this legacy ahead of you of everybody that's been like, well, we've done it and done it successfully this way, you know? So it, it is a unique and, and a different kind of outlook, I guess, as far as ranching and, and that goes. And in a way it's kind of scary because I feel like trying those, those new methods doesn't always go well, you know? I mean, sometimes you want like your dad's way of doing things or your grandfather's and to know kind of the tried and true and going out and trying new things definitely can have its risks, but I do think it can have rewards as well because ranching and agriculture as a whole has come a long way with technology and all of the new things, you know, that are available to us as producers. So it's definitely, to me, it's, it's important to always be growing and expanding your knowledge and even though my knowledge is all recent, you know, within the last 10 years, I feel like I'm always trying to keep growing and keep learning and and keep taking all those things in. I always tell people, you know, it's, it's so good to get knowledge and to learn from people in all different types of operations, you know, whether it's a fifth generation rancher or a second generation rancher, whether it's large scale or somebody that's maybe working on a smaller commercial operation, you know, I mean, there's just everybody really does things differently. And I wouldn't say there's any right or wrong. There's just really great feedback in all directions. But yeah, especially like coming from somebody that that wasn't raised in it, I would say find somebody too that like is really willing to answer all the questions, (laughs) like take you under their wing. There is, and I've said this before in different interviews, but there, there are these gates 
you know, into the world of agriculture and ranching. And they're not locked. They're definitely unlocked and available to be open, but you really have to find those people that are willing to swing the gate wide open for you and not someone that's going to stand at the gate and, and kind of make you prove yourself. Cause ranching just isn't one of those industries where you fake it till you make it because then you end up with, with dead animals or low production or, you know, a bad year of crops or whatever. It's just asking questions, always being open to learn, you know, I, I think is so, so important. So anyways, that's kind of my take, my take on your point. Cause I love that perspective of the whole thing. Yeah. One thing that I talk a lot about is some of the traits that we get from corporate America that I think agriculture should adopt. And I think I always, you know, put a little big target on my back when I bring this up. But one thing that corporate America does really well is continuing education. And one thing that we're big believers in in Cattleman U is continuing education. And I think that it's easy in a manual labor industry, not just agriculture, we can look at kind of all blue collar jobs. It's hard to to continue that education because we work in a different way. And I think if you stop learning, you stop kind of expanding and you lose that creativity piece, that new idea piece. And there is so much to learn out there, not only in how we feed our cows, but also how we manage employees or how we deal with the guy who wants to trespass, right? I mean, there is all of these different scenarios. And I think we could use more education in agriculture. And I think that we have to admit that just because we think we know it all doesn't mean we know it all. And we might learn something that changes the way we think, but also the way we practice. fall or spring production sale? On March 26th, April 23rd, and 25th at 7 p.m., we're hosting our annual production sale classes. This year, we're going to be covering the importance of investing in your future and what that looks like. Caroline will teach you strategies to create content that will impact your marketing structure for years to come. Don't wait. These classes are loaded to the first 100 people to sign up. You can sign up now at krosecompany.com backslash seedstock dash class. For sure. There are just so many good resources out there, you know, and that was another big thing. Like when I first decided this was my, my calling, you know, it's just, it sounds so funny, but we were working on that hunting ranch in Kansas. And I was like, I love that my husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, but uh, was happy, like kind of living his dream life. I was like, working in an office there and, you know, just kind of doing things that I just felt like, I don't want to say we're below me, but we're below what I should be doing. And I was like, I can do so much more than this and just felt like I should be doing more. Um, And I always felt like everything came full circle. Like I was always coming back to some sort of horse job or some sort of cattle job or just always being drawn back to the ranching industry. And at the time, I couldn't really find anything before I got hired on to manage that place in Alabama. So I was, you know, I took a lot of courses through like the BQA stuff, the masters of beef advocacy is a really good course. They're all really simple, but there were things that I learned, you know, even after being exposed to a lot of ranching and, and cattle 
operations. So I think those, and those are both good, I don't know what I want to call them, I guess, groups that put on a lot of like continuing education, like little seminars, and a lot of them are online. So it's really easy just even just to sit and listen in on. And it's just interesting to know because every operation in every state, I feel like, is so different. So there's always new things to learn. You know, I love getting the flyers. We get a lot of flyers in the mail about noxious weeds and controlling those. And I love a lot of like the hippity dippity stuff, like doing things herbally and naturally, you know, I'm reading all these books right now about like herbalism for horses. Um, so I had a couple of horses that came in, get pneumonia, which is something I've never dealt with. And I was like, Oh, you know, you want to get the antibiotics and take care of it. But in the healing process, I was so interested to see what else I could do with natural methods, you know, with herbs and different, you know, little concoctions. I sound like a witch doctor, but I just think that stuff's so fun. And why not? You know, if it's something natural that that can't do any negative, then why not try? I mean, the, the least it can do is nothing. So yeah. Yeah. We did a blog one time. We had people submit their like home rem- remedies for calving season. Yeah. And people were talking about soaking the tongue in sugar and to decrease swelling and all of these really unique things that cost, you know, that don't require a vet and are not a substitute for a vet. Don't hear me say right, that. Right. <laughs> but so many things that you know had been passed down and maybe were wives' tales at one time that people were actively using on the operation. And I found that really fascinating just how creative humans are and in agriculture our creativity can get kind of burnt I mean like it can be a candle that gets burnt out it's because it's like okay no we just got to feed the cattle today we got to make sure the horses are taken care of and I think sometimes the creativity piece can get discouraged in agriculture and one thing I really admire about you is you have been able to kind of maintain this creative thinking side. And I already know how beneficial that is for the ranch you guys are on, but also just adding creativity back into agriculture is so important. And I think it's something that is often overlooked. Yeah, I would agree. You know, I mean, this goes back to what we've already said, but a lot of people just go through the motions. They really do. You know, it's like, this is how we've always fed. And that, the prime example is the place that we're managing now. The previous caretakers just said, like, this amount of square bales once a day and, you know, whatever. And I was like, okay, but it's never been negative 50. And we're not just going to flake out a few square bales and hope that the ranch horses survive. You know, I mean, that's, that's just not in my nature. So, you know, we've been putting in round bales and netting them and doing all the steps, you know, to make sure everyone's not overeating and not colicking or whatever and just getting them access to protein licks that they need and there's just so many things that can go into bettering the lives of your livestock that I feel like so many people are like well if they're fed and watered you know it's good but why not make it great that's always my thought is like there's just so much more we can always be doing you know and you see that too in in different operations some people really do just feed and water and make sure everyone's vertical. And then other people are really out there interacting with the animals and making sure that they've got everything they need and more to really thrive. Yeah. That's one thing when people come into our farm to table retail store, which is called the rancher's daughter in Cowspell, people will ask about the life that the cattle had before they became meat. 
And I often tell them that I am a little embarrassed to admit it in the ag space, but most of them probably were named. I was like, just (laughs) an idea about the level of care that this steak had before it became a steak, whether it was by me, because I used to name all my cows and I (laughs) read on your tags, you know, or by my niece and nephew. I was like, they are cared about enough to have pet names. If that gives you any idea about the level of care that is seen in the (laughs) at our backgrounding lot. But I think you're right. I think that we can ranch differently and I think there are a lot of different ways to ranch. And I think, you know, you guys working into being involved in someone else's operation still makes you as important to the industry. And I think the industry can say, well, you don't own a place. But we need people like you who come in and who assist and manage these land and these cattle and these animals. And one question I have for you when you kind of think about your projects on this operation is what is something either new that you guys are trying or what is something that maybe has always been done that you are working on tweaking a little bit to kind of either become more economical or serve the animals better? What are some creative ways that you're applying new thoughts into this? Yeah, so this kind of goes back to what I was saying right before this question as far as like with the horses. So we do have a pretty significant herd of ranch horses and the people that were managing and caretaking for the property before, I don't ever want to like talk smack, but like we're doing the necessary things, but nothing additional, you know? So I have quite a few senior horses in the herd and horses are definitely my, my passion. I love cattle love chickens (laughs) like love it all but like horses have always been kind of like my thing when winter started getting pretty bad back in December I remember seeing a lot of them starting to get lame kind of out of nowhere you know yeah the ground's hard but these are ranch horses that have lived on this property you know for a lot of their life and it's not super rocky we're in the Gallatin Valley so we're north of Bozeman a little ways but we are down like on mostly river bottoms. We're surrounded by mountains, but we're not in a mountainous or rocky terrain right here on the property. So to me, it was so weird. And what we found after lots of trial and error and lots of different things that we were, you know, kind of looking for and and trying to do to help them and bring them some relief was that there was actually a deficiency in the ground that they're on and in the hay. So they were all pawing, looking for whatever it is that they're deficient in. So everybody was short just on the front hooves because their back hooves were normal. They weren't lame on them, but everybody was like so short down to the soles, you know, just from pawing and pawing, like shortest from the toe back to the frog. And it was the weirdest thing. It's nothing I've ever seen. Like I said, most of the horses that I found it were kind of in that like 23 to 26 range. And I was looking into arthritis because it was getting pretty cold around Christmas. That's when we had that first really big bout of negatives. Anyways, yeah, I mean, I've worked for lots of ranches with horse herds, anywhere from five horses to 125, and never seen anything like this where all of a sudden, you know, everybody just started coming up lame and just walking really tender-footed. And, you know, I had one vet say, oh, they're foundering. And I have a hard time believing that horses would founder in the dead of winter. Obviously anything's possible and you want to take your vet's advice, but we definitely did some more digging and 
we ended up switching to a more intensive mineral. Um, so rather than just like a trace mineral and a natural salt block, we went to a, a mineral that provides a little bit more. And then we switched the type of protein tubs that we had out as well to something that was a lot lower in starches and things like that. And, you know, it's crazy to think because these horses have been getting those other tubs and that's it for like the entire time they've lived here. So just, just little things like that. I mean, I know that's a more like horsey example than cattle, but you know, kind of the same thing. It's one of those deals where you can't just go out and go through the motions. You know, you got to see what, what your animals are going through. And, you know, another weird example, this was probably nearly, I don't know, nearly a year ago, previous operation that we worked for that we still work for and help with cattle. And I still do a lot of like the ranching software and stuff for them. We had an issue where we had brought in some yearlings for a grazing permit and we were riding yearlings and all of a sudden we just noticed that there were so many trying to eat this one certain plant. It was a plant that none of us had ever seen before. You know, you, you know, kind of the normal ones that they go for and ones to avoid and things like that. But there were these plants that we had never seen. And later, you know, we had quite a few of them come up sick. And so we're doctoring these yearlings. It was super weird. And they were all like down kind of along the creek in the early summer. And what we found was that it was actually this plant that only grows up in like the perfect conditions and only after like a really terrible drought year and only along certain elevations along the banks of creeks and streams and rivers. and So very circumstantial, something we'd obviously never heard of because we had them all grazing in there. And luckily we caught it, got them moved. And once it started to get cooler later in the summer, it all died. Because I guess they have to consume the bulb. They have to pull it all the way out and consume the bulb. But once again, the old school method would have just been, well, we'll just keep doctoring them, you know, and you're just roping and doctoring over and over. And it's like, no, we, we really need to take into account why these cattle are all hovering down here by the creek and not, not to drink, but just all kind of loafing down there and why they're starting to come up ill. And it has to be something, not just a coincidence. So just things like that. I feel like always kind of being on top of things, you know, it sounds funny, but one boss I once had said, every time a calf stands up from a nap, you better be watching to make sure it stretches afterwards. And he said, if it doesn't stretch, you better watch it. And if its ears don't perk up, then you better doctor it. You know, it's just so funny, just the things that people watch for. But that was just like an old, old mentality. They said, if they don't stretch, they're not feeling good, you know, and, and they need a second look and just things like that. It's just funny, all the different advice you can take from all the different types of operations and types of people. And I feel like it really gets you always thinking dynamically, at least for me. I love that kind of stuff because I don't want to go out every day and just stare at the cows or stare at the horses. And not that I want issues, but I don't know. I don't want to just go out and be like, okay, they're still there, you know, and, and there's no growth or no type of change, you know, ever. So to me, it's always good to be figuring those things out and being on top of it. A guy at a feedlot one time that I was talking to said, you need to know that your cattle are sick before they even know it. <laughs> he said, that's the best management practice. He said, you should be able to tell before they even know that anything's settling in, which is just such a funny thing to think about. But 
but it's true, you know, and you really have to be thinking dynamically, I think, to, to be that kind of manager. Yeah. And well, how many times do we drive out through the lot of cows? Because that's what we need to do. And we're on our phone or paying attention to the sunset or we're listening to the radio. And again, I'm as guilty as everyone else, right? It's just, yeah. it's the same thing you've been saying. Going through the motions versus intentional and playing offense versus defense. And I mean, we're all guilty of it. Being distracted, having kids in the vehicle that are screaming, and we're just kind of driving through to make sure nothing's laying down. You know, nothing's feet up. We're all vertical. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And so I think that even just like switching our mindset and saying, okay, my goal is to really understand these animals, really understand their behavior so that you can start to pick up on little abnormal things Right. in the end saves from a lot of headache. Yeah. Yeah, it does for sure. And I mean, there's definitely days where I feel like every owner, operator, manager, whatever, just make sure everyone's vertical. You know, we're, we're all human. Every day you can't sit out there for three hours and just stare at your livestock. But in a perfect world, you're doing it at least a couple times a week and really getting a good assessment of how everyone's doing, how they're, and not just how the animals are doing, but how's the water? How's the feed sources? Like, are they eating all of the hay that we're putting out? Do they not like this hay? Do they, you know, do they prefer it? fed this way, whatever, you know, it's, it's funny, but cattle and horses that like what they're eating are comfortable in their environment. All of those factors leads to a happy animal, you know, and a happy animal is one that is going to live long and live well and provide well in the long run. It sounds funny. They always say like happy cows are from California, but, but that's the goal, right? Happy and healthy. And the only way to do that is to really know your herd and know at least know what baseline is so you can go above and below yeah and just being really intentional about our time you know one thing in agriculture in general I think we waste a lot of time and I think that is something that we need to address in the future generations is how much time do we spend on certain activities and how much time is wasted and I think we drive through and check our cattle an insane amount I mean prop the right amount right I'm not saying it's a bad thing right but I'm not sure we always do it with a goal and sometimes I think we do it you know we'll say oh I'm just gonna drive out and make sure the water tank's not frozen we might drive the whole pasture and back and only look at the water tank. And there is a lot of different ways that we can kind of tweak our thinking and tweak the way that we are acting to help a better outcome. But I always call it being offensive versus defense. It does require kind of this shift in mindset and this shift in behavior to really be on the forefront and be making the plays versus reacting to the plays. Yeah. Well, and to kind of, add on to that as well. So like, just as far as changing our mindset, you know, not even just in the how active we are every day when we're out there, but also in the way that we're active. I've worked for a lot of operations where it was pretty dense with testosterone. (laughs) Being a woman in ranching is hard, not just because like, it's traditionally a man thing, you know, whatever people will say, but also because you really do get kind of like that. And I also don't want to put down like, this sounds terrible, but like you get the cowboy mentality. 
love cowboys, consider myself a, a cowboy gal at times, but you have the cowboy mentality and then the cattleman mentality to me. Hey ladies, are you looking for a way to gain confidence when it comes to working cattle? This summer, we're hosting the first ever She's a Hand Ranch Camp in Montana. Our goal is to create a low-stress environment for you to learn the skills you're expected to know, but never taught. You can join us on either May 25th through 29th or July 28th through August 2nd. Each camp is limited to 15 spots, so don't wait. You can grab your ticket today at the link in the show notes. We hope to see you there. talking about is something that we mention a lot that women bring to production agriculture is this different set of eyes and we have to have that like I am a firm firm believer that we cannot replace men don't hear me say that right but women simply view things differently women look at projects a different way we have different starting spots often we think about things differently And in production agriculture, we need that. We need that femininity. We need that sensitivity. We need that creativity. And we have had the culture of agriculture where that is removed. For a long time, we have encouraged that to be removed. And I think women play this role in agriculture that they don't even realize the impact and the power that we have in agriculture simply because we just view things out of a different lens. And it's hard because sometimes I'll say something, I know it happens to you. My dad and brother will whip their head over and say, what? And I'm like, oh, you you didn't think like that? And they said, no, absolutely not. And it's just a whole different way of thinking. Our brains are just wired differently. But yeah, I believe that we need more of that energy in production agriculture now more than ever. Yeah. No, agreed. I mean, women and, and also strong, independent women that are willing to say like, all right, <laughs> put the man stuff away, testosterone aside, you know, let's think about what's best for these animals. Maybe it takes a little more preparation or maybe it's not how we've always done it. But, you know, the thing is taking the easy route doesn't do anything for anyone. Yeah, maybe you like get home, you can have your food a little sooner. But at the end of the day, this is the lifestyle that we've chosen. So we're not doing things to get them done quickly. We're doing it to get them done right and get them done effectively to keep everybody alive and healthy and thriving. And, you know, not just the livestock, but the land as well. During hay season, you can't say, well, the baseball game's on. Well, you've got hay on the ground and it's raining tomorrow at daybreak. So it's, you know, it's time to rake, time to bail, you know, whatever. Just things like that. You know, a lot of times people say, well, it's maybe not as time efficient, but I think that you can argue in both directions because we obviously want to be efficient in what we're doing. And like you said, there is a lot of time wasted sometimes just deciding what to do or, you know, formulating those plans and ideas. But also I really think that taking time to plan things out and do whatever is the best decision, not just the quickest or the easiest does lead to a more successful operation as a whole. And we 
as an industry, talk about profitability all the time, right? And we, it feels as if to me that most people in agriculture are kind of teetering on this, uh, am I going to make it line? Yeah. And, you know, what does this year look like commodities wise? And one thing that I think that correlates really well with what you're saying is we might be moving slower, but say we can save one calf by sitting down and making a better game plan. How many years is that $1,000 going to make or break? And for a lot of people in the situation they're feeling at, that $1,000 makes a big difference, right? Or even if you do 10 of them a year, that's $10,000. And sometimes I think we don't value what the actual cost, opportunity cost is in any business, right? We just, we act quickly. We're humans. We make quick movements. But all of those little details, to me, I call it crossing my T's and dotting my I's, like all of those little teeny things add up to big movements and big momentum. And we forget how making the decision between roping a calf and using a dark gun or using a different method of treatment, how that, like the compound effect of that in 10 years is going to be huge when it's really easy to see in the moment now that roping it would be more enjoyable But I think we forget to look at what the compound effect is for the overall operation. Right. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Yeah. Just overall, I think the the biggest message, especially to like these generational producers is just that there are so many different ways to skin a cat. You know, there's so many ways to run an operation. And sometimes I really feel like people have it all together. And they're doing it the way they've always done it and being successful. And that's great. And other times I think that those are the operations that are struggling because they're not catching up with the times. There's been different, different operations I've worked for that we went and we actually had classes with our vet because we're obviously paying that person for their advice. So if we don't take it, what good are we? Why consult them if they say, this is how I would handle it. And then we do it a different way. Cow dies. Now what, where do you go? So we choose a vet that we trust. We would actually go and and go to classes and talk about scenarios and say, during calving, say such and such happens, how do we respond? Yeah, we all have in our mind how we would respond, but that vet knows exactly what the most safe process is, the most humane process, the one that's going to give us the the best chance of that calf and that cow thriving through the end of that process. Just because maybe Joe that we worked for five years ago says, reach in there, put on the chains and pull. Maybe that's not the answer anymore. You know, maybe science now shows that we should do some sort of drug first to help relax the muscles or do this, or, or maybe we wait every vet kind of has their different thing. And every operation I feel like needs different guidance, depending on the type of cattle you have and the age of the cattle, you know, a new mom versus a a veteran mom need very different things and different treatment in my eyes, but being willing to sit there and know that you have this whole pocket full of experiences and knowledge, but still being open to, well, what does our vet think is the best? You know, maybe, the way I've been doing it isn't wrong or isn't bad, but maybe there is a better way. There's still people I know that treat everything with penicillin. That's not the way that we, we do things. That's not the way I would choose to do things, but that's 
how they've always done it and they're doing okay. And their, their cattle herd is working with that treatment. Is that up to the times? No, there's a lot better medicine out there now and things that are more effective and things that last longer. So you don't have to be doctoring every single day and stressing that cow out, but that's what works for them. To me, if those people had an open mind and said, what could we do better? Then they would be doing even better than they are. You know, they're already successful, but it's like, you could maybe be the top producer instead of just the one that's like not having to sell cattle or, or sell land or, because it is a tough industry right now. You know, a lot of ranches are downsizing and, you know, having to outsource things that they never had to before. So it's tough and I get it, but if you're not always expanding and learning and trying to better your operation and, and your, you know, your management practices, then you really can't feel too bad <laughs> for them. I think the key takeaway from this whole podcast is to be asking yourself. And for me, sometimes when I really want to be intentional about something is I write it on a sticky note and I put it on my computer because that's what I look at every day. For a lot of our listeners, that's on the dash of their pickup or the dash of the side-by-side. Like, I think we should write a sticky note and I'd love for anyone who's listening to the podcast who does this to tag us, but is there a better way? And I think if we just stopped and we took a deep breath and we thought to ourselves, is there a better way? And if you're in a multifamily operation, your sibling, your dad, your grandpa, your spouse, your sister, they might disagree. They might think there is not a better way. If we ask ourselves with everything we're doing and then in the day, is there a better way? Is there a better way to communicate? Is there a better way to feed the cattle? Is there a better way to keep this tank from freezing? Is there a better way to store our vaccines? Is there a better way? Is there a better way? I'm wondering how much we will figure out and how many tweaks we can make to our operation that, again, that compound effect make a huge impact. Yeah, I agree. I really do. One person that I worked for in the past, you know, said something that really really stuck with me, you know, and they said, if you aren't always taking the opportunity to be better, you're never going to be the best. There's no way to like make it to where you want to be. Cause I think some people might argue and say they don't want to be the best, but like who doesn't want to be the best at what they do, whether it's basketball or tending chickens or gardening or large scale ranching. If you don't take the small steps to better yourself, how can you ever be the best version of yourself? You know, in all things, it's not just ranching. It's not just our jobs. It's our relationships. It's it's our hobbies. You know, it's everything. I always try to keep that in my mind and think of that. And it's just, it really is true. You know, sometimes a lot of skills that we have and things that we do are really innate. Things that we just are naturally good at. Some people are just really athletic. Some people are really good at growing things. They have just like a green thumb, you know, they're blessed with those things. And other people have to learn those skills in order to do them. Because even if you aren't blessed with something, it doesn't mean that you can't thrive at it. But if you're not taking all the steps to thrive, you know, you're, you're never going to be where you want to be. So I think that that is just a really cool piece of advice. I feel like a little like a life coach saying it, but it's a good a good mantra to, to have in your head. We all need a little life coaching, yeah. um, of course. 
this has been a great conversation and I hope that the listeners got something out of it and maybe it just tweaks the way we think about things. We slow down a little bit. We know that we can always try something and have it not work and try something else. And so where can our listeners connect with you? I know that you're on social media, but where's the best place for them to find you? Yeah. So I would say Instagram is kind of my main hub for social media. So on Instagram, my name is hashtag ranch life all spelled out. And I do have a website that's hashtag ranch life Kirsten.com. Although my name is kind of hard sometimes for people spelling wise, but it's in my profile. So easy to get to. I try to share a lot of the lighthearted things in, in ranch life, some of the less lighthearted things, but mostly I just try to keep it real as much as possible. But yeah, so that's me, hashtag ranch life on Instagram. And yeah, love to connect with anyone. It's been so fun connecting with you on here. I've been following Cattleman U for quite some time. So I was really excited when when the invite came through. So I appreciate you. Absolutely. We never even got to talk about your social media, but thank you so much for being on the podcast. We'll put all of your contact information in the show notes, and I'm sure some of our listeners will reach out. Perfect. Sounds great. Thank you so much, Caroline. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to the Cattleman U podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. We are thankful to have you in your community. Like always, remember, the grass is greener where you water it.